Hello and welcome back to Mark Pearson's Property Profits. This is the second episode of the podcast and we will be looking into when is a good time and when is a bad time to buy property in the UK. Now, thanks for the feedback on the previous podcast. I think it's primarily some of our some of my existing clients and a couple of friends, but there was some great feedback. Some bits I need to improve on in terms of the presentation. I've been asked to slow down slightly during the presentation to be able to pass on the information a bit better. So I will do my utmost to do that during this podcast and also maybe cut them down a little bit so that we separate the information and we can do these in, in a little bit more bite size if possible. A couple of questions were also raised, which is great. So please keep sending over your questions and I'll keep answering them. Um, the first one from Michael IFA through to my email with mark at baroncabot.com. Keep them coming in. Uh, how do I understand how many properties are needed in an area and how many are being built? Manchester, as an example, looks like it's being oversupplied. It's a great question, obviously. And the answer is really the best starting point for the number of properties needed are council papers. So for instance, if we use Manchester as an example, uh, the Manchester Council will release documents and figures in terms of how many properties they believe need to be built over the coming years. And industry papers from the council will also show how many properties are being planned to be built over the coming number of years. Manchester is a great example. There is a lot of supply in the city this year. However, what that's been doing is catching up with undersupply previous years, and there's not huge amounts set up for the, for the upcoming years. What that means is for Manchester, there could be a chance that uh, rents are slightly more competitive ne- uh, this year and next year while these buildings are being completed, but growth should pick up again next year, 2021, 2022, etc. And it does not look like there is an oversupply at the moment, they're still catching up to the demand. We might just see a little surge in one particular year. Again, going back to the previous podcast, don't, we should be looking at this as a 3, 5, 7, 10, 15 year investment, not just next year. So although it might be competitive next year, it's still a good time to buy in the city at the right price, obviously. The next question is from Nabila, uh, which says, myself and my husband don't have enough money to buy in a city center such as Manchester or Birmingham. Should I look at cheaper towns and cities or the outskirts of cities like Manchester and Birmingham? This one's slightly more difficult to answer until we understand what we need in terms of rental return and yield. Often what we'll find is provincial towns and cities, we can buy in a little bit cheaper, get slightly higher yield, but lower growth. So there's, there's a trade-off there. So depending on what Nabila and her husband are looking for would depend on, on their actions to move forward. If we're looking for a balance of rental yields and growth, then the outskirts of cities are often a slightly better option. However, if yield is our priority, then provincial towns may work better. What I'd be doing with Nabila in this set of circumstances would be to have a look at a few cities and their provincial cities and towns, have a look at some options in terms of investment, and then compare the growth and rental figures 
of maybe two or three cities at the price points that Nabila can afford and then make a decision there forward which one would work best for our five-year, 10-year strategy. So now thank you for those questions. Let's get on with when is a good time to buy UK property and when should you not buy? This is often a question that we get from new investors who are worried about the risks of investing at the wrong time. Now the first investment sometimes feels like jumping off a diving board as a child. You stand by the side of the pool and see all the other kids jumping off and it doesn't seem too difficult. The board doesn't seem too high. But then when you get up, you go up the steps and stand at the end of the diving board, you feel like it's got an awful lot higher and the water's got an awful lot more shallow. At this point, some people take the long way back down the stairs and others have the courage to jump off. And when they do, they realize that it was safe all along and each jump after that becomes a little easier. The reason I mention this is that the first hurdle with some investors that I speak to is not the market, it's their mind playing tricks on them. And no matter how good an opportunity is, they'll find an excuse not to buy. Now this may be you, you may think, well, you know what Mark, I've worked very, very hard for my money and I'm not gonna waste it by taking any risks. And that's absolutely fine. What we want to do is get to the position whereby we've done all the due diligence, we know that it's a good investment for you and your particular set of circumstances. We have a decision to either invest or make some more excuses not to invest. The truth is the more information that you have, the more comfortable and more confident you are that you're making the right decision. But you have to know yourself and whether you are the type of person that regardless of how good an opportunity is, you will always stop and back out of that. Because at this point, you may find that you're just wasting your time going down the rabbit hole of property investment. I see this a lot with investors and whereby they'll take a year to three years time to decide on a property. And by the time that they feel they're ready to go ahead with a particular area, that area has already maximized its profits. Equally, some people spend so much time looking at development that they lose out on the best units within that development. What I try and get across to my clients is to get a good understanding of what's going on in the market, what area you want to invest in, and then the type of investment that you're looking for from a price point, from growth, the type of internals that you need, the type of quality of finished. And then as soon as the development comes up that ticks all of those boxes, we need to act quite quickly. The other thing is, to understand that you're always making an investment with your hard-earned cash. You're either choosing to invest it in your bank account and take the interest rates being offered by your bank, or you're choosing to invest it in the property market. It's never a choice of investing or not investing. We are always making an investment into our future, and we need to compare bonds, the property market, our own bank accounts, and stock markets, if that's something you understand. And that takes us to our first point, which is every market is good and every market is bad, depending on what type of property that you buy. In the same way, every city is good and every city is bad, in that you can buy into a very low growth city, but buy significantly under market value and your property will grow in value. We can only tell if it's a good time to buy in a city by looking at the numbers we discussed in the previous podcast and making the most of down markets, up markets, and plateau markets. Some of the wealthiest people in the world have made money by buying right at the bottom of a market, 
You look at the likes of even Donald Trump buying up large sections of New York when it was in a huge recession. While others make money as the market's growing or the top third of the growth of a market. What I'd be saying to you as an early investor into the property market, or even if you have four or five properties, is that there's enough money to be made on the way up. What I mean by that is by looking at trends, look at an area which is not at the bottom. Don't try and buy right at the bottom of a market. Don't try and buy on a market that's dropping significantly. I think the stockbrokers call that trying to catch a falling knife. Never do that. Let's look at markets that are on their way up and for justified reasons. So let's look at towns and cities that are on their way up. You know, they have some, maybe some new infrastructure just about to be completed. People are starting to buy a little bit. You see the uh, house prices creeping up and we're maybe in the first third of growth or the second third of growth. You're still going to make money. Now, this is the case whether the overall market is going up or it's going down or anything else. You know, the, the whole UK market may be slowing down on paper, but the reality of it is that, for instance, really expensive properties in London are making the average of the UK look lower. If a city's growing, regardless of what else is going on, and there's reasons behind that, uh, and the reasons that we, we covered over in our previous podcast, then we can certainly be looking at investments in those areas and still make significant amounts of money. 2019, for example, we've just finished that off. And the amount of investors that I spoke to during the course of last year who said, look, Mark, I'm holding off until after Brexit or Mark, you know, the property markets have stalled. I've seen it in the newspaper. So I'm going to hold off. Now, that's all well and good. And obviously, it's, it's really important for all of us that our investors are confident in the market. However, at that same time, some areas of Birmingham grew 19%, 20%. Overall, we were looking at 6% growth. Manchester, very similar. We saw growth in Leeds, Liverpool. We saw dramatic growth over the south coast. Some parts of London, which I don't think many people expected. Gloucester, Leicester, Oxfordshire. I really don't think there's any part of the country that you could give me where there wasn't postcodes performing incredibly well. Now, if that was you, that's absolutely fine. We can learn from that. We can look at that and say, okay, well, why did these areas grow? What, what can we look at within those areas which showed the reasons behind growth? Let's look at what happened over the last year, the last five years, the last 10 years, and start to understand why certain areas performed well, what happened with the infrastructure there, and use that for 2020 for our investment spots. The age-old quote with property is, when was the best time to buy? It was 10 years ago. When's the second best time to buy? It's now. So the next question really is, well, okay, Mark, that's all well and good. But what happens if there's a market crash, a market correction, as the uh, as you might call it in the industry, which makes it sound less painful? Well, if there's a market crash, we need to understand how we can mitigate any problems with that. And we need to understand whether there will be any crashes or any downturns. Any market fluctuates anyway. If it didn't fluctuate, we wouldn't be able to take advantage of the market so much. And that'll go down as well as it'll go up. Now, what we want to look at is continual growth over five, 10-year periods. This is why we always say, look, investment, your sort of minimum amount of time that you want to be able to hold on to an investment is three years, but average really five to 10 years. 
And we can go back to the likes of 2007, where we had the glo global market crash, the biggest crash that we've seen in such a long time. And I know it well because it was a, a time when I just started out in the property industry as a surveyor. And a number of people that I graduated with were laid off straight away from their companies who were scaling back. The whole property market was in problems. But what caused this crash? It's important for everybody to understand why that crash happened and the basics of it. This all started with subprime mortgages, which was effectively people being offered mortgages that they couldn't afford. So in some instances, you were able to get a 110% mortgage, actually a mortgage worth more than the value of the property. There's lots and lots of mortgages which were 100% of the property value. And what people were doing, investors were doing, was um, using this lending option to get as many properties as they could into their portfolio. At the time, property market was growing rapidly, and so it looked like a shoo-in. Part of the problem here came when slightly more novice investors came into the market right, right at the peak, rather than buying in halfway up or a third of the way up. People were buying right at the peak, thinking this was a never-ending growth which in some ways they were right with because most cities are now worth more than they were back during the crash. So the, the property prices did go up in value. However, what happened was people were caught out by a slight correction in the market after the Lehman Brothers crashing and it brought down markets over here. Slight correction in the market meant that their mortgage rate, their mortgage or their borrowing was more than the value of the property, which caused panic. People started selling off properties at a lower price and many people got in problems with their mortgages, weren't able to make the repayments and the, the crash came about. Now, why is that different today? And why won't that happen next year, the year after? Obviously when you know we've got Donald Trump in power over in America, who's propping up the stock market, but if he leaves office or maybe after he's got a second term, there might be a correction in the Dow Jones, or in the American stock markets might affect UK stock markets, will that have an effect on property? The answer to that is no, really. If you listen to the last podcast, the, it's all about supply, demand, average property value to average salary. But the one that could cause an issue is access to finance. Now that could slow the market, but would it crash the market? That's unlikely because as you well know, if you've already bought a number of investment properties um, over the last few years or certainly since 2007, there's no way you can get hold of 100% mortgage anymore and buy to let mortgages. The best you're going to get is an 80-20 uh, loan to value whereby the bank will lend you 80%. The vast majority we see are about 70% certainly for early investors. What this means is if there was a correction in the market, we saw, obviously, in some places, 5% correction on the, in 2007, and then a further 5% the year after. What that would mean is that most um, buy-to-let investors wouldn't find themselves in problems, although it would be slightly painful, and they'd have to hold on to the property for slightly longer. It wouldn't create a, a, an effect of a crash whereby people are having to offload properties for affordability because they have that margin in there already. The reasons that the banks have done this is to stop that domino effect that happened in 2007 and encourage safer long-term investments. So if your worst case is what happened in 2007, have a look at the market you're investing in, have a look at what happened then, see if you would be able to hold on. In vast majority, the managed to, uh, vast majority markets, they will manage to pull back the valuations within two years and get start getting growth again. 
So this is why I say always be able to keep in your mind that you'd be able to keep that property for three years in a worst case scenario. Bear in mind that in 2007, people that weren't buying property were still renting property. So there's still market there. People were still getting rental income. So now we know for the absolute worst market, what, what you'd have to do. And the worst case position for you would be that you'd have to hold on to that property for a few years longer than you'd like to. The upside is if so long as you're buying correctly, that your property will grow in value. And, and really, when we say buy correctly, you could almost throw a dart at the map of the UK 10 years ago and made profit from that property by now. I mean, the average property is up. So, you know, we can buy incorrectly, but so long as we do the, the correct due diligence, we look at market growth, we look at areas that are improving, we look at reasons for those areas improving, such as infrastructure, it's very difficult to get that very wrong. Add into that some, some risk analysis so that you know that in the worst case situation, you'd be able to hold on to that property for three years, four years without getting into any problems. And you start to see why people make so much money out of this market and why the richest people in the world are owners of significant amounts of property. And the highest proportion of millionaires created in the last five years did so through property investments. So to answer the original question pointed out by the podcast, when is a bad time to buy a property? The only bad time to buy a property is a time where you've not researched your investment and you've not researched the marketplace. I hope this podcast was beneficial for you. As always, please do ask as many questions as you can to mark at baroncabot.com. I'll answer you via email in long form and also try and reference it as a Q&A on the next podcast. In the meantime, get yourself over to www.baroncabot.com. Have a read of the articles on there. Download the safe investment guide and happy property searching.